Hello, this is the Cold Water Economic News Bulletin again, uh, this time for the 19th of March. And today I want to talk about the EU's CO2 emissions trading scheme. Now, this is the sort of mess you thought you didn't need to know about. But now, the way it's pushed up the price of CO2 for EU companies by approximately 150% year on year means you do need to know about it either for financial reasons, because when you get this kind of volatility, someone somewhere is at risk, or for economic reasons, because the jolt in CO2 pricing will simultaneously push up Eurozone inflation and retard its recovery. In short, it's the sort of mess which needs watching. To understand what's happening now, we need to know the history of the project. The details will probably bog us down, but the fundamental story is much the same as you'll find almost every time a government targets a crucial economic input and then ends up trying to fix prices by using a stabilization fund. You can be pretty certain that whatever else it achieves, stabilization won't be one of those things. Okay, the EU's emissions trading scheme was set up in 2005 as a cap and trade scheme. The EU sets limits on CO2 emissions and stipulates that a clutch of large companies need to own permits up to the amount of CO2 they emitted. At the start, this was more signalling the shape of things to come rather than imposing a hard limit. After all, some sectors managed to get partial immunity, for example, uh, EU internal aviation, and other sectors were simply handed out their own allowances free of charge. So few ended up actually having to buy their allocations, and when they did, the price was low because, frankly, the total CO2 ceiling fixed was reassuringly high. Okay, so initially too many allocations were issued, and as early as 2009, it was clear there was a large surplus, and by 2013, that surplus had risen to about 2.13 billion allowances. The initial allocations had been generous, and then the great financial crisis had resulted in slower growth and therefore fewer emissions than had been expected. So the initial reaction was to slow down how quickly the quotas were issued, with 900 million allowances being postponed until 2019-2020. So the EU was essentially gambling on its understanding of likely demand. The idea was that during the 2013 to 2020 period, 57% of the allowances were to be auctioned, gradually falling from 80% in 2013 to 30% in 2020. That wasn't enough to mop up the surplus. So in January 2019, the EU established a market stability reserve, which was meant to soak up the unallocated excess allowances. Now, the rules for how this market stability reserve operates even though it's actually, it's actually notional, had to be predefined because the scope for political and economic debate and competition between sectors and countries on this is very obvious. This is, after all, effectively a tax. And the new rules put in place meant that the amount of allowances soaked up was raised to 24% of total allowances in circulation, up from a previous 12%. These rules kick in if the reserves holdings of allowances exceeds a certain threshold. Also, from 2000 to 23, this stability fund will start actually retiring the allowances entirely if they exceed the previous year's auction volume. So it's getting complicated, and it's also getting tighter. 
but it doesn't end there. In order to tighten up further, the EU also decided to accelerate the annual rate of decline in the allowances it issues to 2.2% a year from this year compared to 1.74% a year previously. And while some sectors at the highest risk will continue to get their allocations free, for the rest, free allocation is to fall from a maximum of 30% in 2020 to zero by 2030. Who gets them free will be updated by the EU every five years. Now, if I was to pair this back to its bare bones, this is what happened. The carbon trading scheme started out as a fig leaf, essentially issuing more carbon credits than the EU needed. This was almost virtue signaling, but actually probably worse, since the allocations actually had some financial value. So the kicker was that it was like giving away money to carbon-intensive industries. Good. But this could only last so long, and for the last 10 years or so, the problem has been how to row back and, gently, how to make this into a real market. But, as they say, shit happens. Firstly, the great financial crisis, and now coronavirus, have made a mockery of attempts to anticipate demand. And to compensate, the efforts to tighten up have become ever more frantic. But by committing to a visible long-term tightening of supply, without actually knowing how, if at all, CO2 emissions really can be cut to near zero in the medium term, it has created a sort of market dynamic which will be familiar to those of you who've looked at Bitcoin's supply-side fundamentals. Far from stabilizing the market, they've created a classic banker's ramp. Anyway, the market's cottoned on, and so the price is absolutely soaring. From an average of 760 euros per ton during 2012 to 2018, to 42.3 euros a ton earlier this week. What does this mean? Well, it begins to get expensive, put it in perspective. A barrel of crude is estimated to use about 317 kilograms of CO2. So with the, so with the carbon price at 42.3 a tonne, that adds about 13.5 euros to the EU effective price of a barrel of oil. At current exchange rates, that comes to an extra $16 a barrel. Currently, Brent crude is selling at 69, about $69 a barrel, which is bad enough, but add on the CO2 price and the price for EU companies is now up to $85.4 per barrel. In year-on-year terms, these calculations tell us that the effective price for EU companies of crude is up 137% year-on-year. Germany is already citing the rising price of CO2 as one reason why their CPI rose 1.3% year-on-year in February. But in truth, the stagflationary tendency it imparts will be shared around all of those in the EU's trading scheme, and it's unlikely to be a one-off. There's no reason to believe that the EU CO2 price will top out anywhere near 42.3 a tonne or top out anytime soon. In short, It's a broad-based tax rise on EU industry, which will need to be passed on to the consumer at just the time when it's not needed. Worse, there's no knowing how high this tax will rise, nor who, if anyone, has the power to stop it. And that's why we all need to keep an eye on it. Well, that's it for the debt for today. I'm sorry it was so long and complicated. Uh, If you have any comments, please feel free to reach out to me, Michael Taylor, 
on MJT Coldwater at fastmail.com. Thank you very much.